Welcome to Growth Marketing Camp, a podcast powered by OpenSense, where we sit down with leaders and founders from diverse backgrounds in marketing, tech, and beyond to explore what it takes to build a leading brand that's shaping the world of B2B. Let's get into it. Hey, everybody. This is Jazz Binning, co-host of Growth Marketing Camp. Welcome to our next episode, where I'm happy to welcome Matt Page, Vice President of Marketing and Strategy at Hatchworks. Matt, it's great to have you on the show. Welcome. Yeah, I appreciate it. Excited for our uh, our chat today, Jess. Yeah, I'm super excited too. I know that you mentioned you just came came off of a flight from Dallas. How are you feeling right now? Are you still feeling pretty pumped? Yeah, a, l- a little bit sleepy, but I'm, I'm pumped for this conversation. Excited to get into it. It was fun. His first, you know, in-person kind of customer conversation in a while. Got some flashbacks of, uh, you know, being in the office and all of that. But uh, no, really good conversation. Good to be in person with some customers. So it was really good. All right, nice. And you uh, you mentioned you were working at Hatchworks and that's based in Atlanta. Are you guys fully remote right now or is it like a hybrid situation? Yeah, we, we're fully remote. So it, it, what Hatchworks does, we build and design and build solutions for our customers to help you stand out in the market. But what's happened for us is ever since COVID, we uh, transitioned a lot of our business on the delivery side to Latin America. So that we actually had it set up pre-COVID but it's blown up. So in terms of having same time zone alignment, it's delivered a lot of value. You don't have to be, you know, kind of physically co-located with your teams anymore, but it's cool. We we do these kind of internal meetings. I was on with one right before this, but I was on with somebody from Colombia, somebody from Costa Rica and somebody from Argentina getting to know them, but it's a really cool environment. Uh, But yeah, we're all remote just by virtue of us being, you know, across the the U.S. and Latin America. All right. That's awesome. Yeah. We um, at OpenSense, we're a fully remote team too. I know I was just mentioning, I'm the only Canadian employee, but I always yes. joke that I'm the Canadian division of OpenSense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Our but, marketing managers is actually out in Montana. So we're kind oh, of yeah. all over, just wherever <laughs> the best talent is. That's that's our approach to our approach. And I love that. And that's kind of like, you know, that's the way life should be now. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, before we kick it off, especially because we're heading into the weekend, I know you, the weekend hasn't started yet, but a lot of us I try to find ways to, we also try to find ways to share things that other marketers are doing and other professionals are doing to make their days and their lives better. One of the things that has haunted me in the past and haunts many people are Sunday scaries. <laughs> you yeah. mentioned the, something called Sunday prep. So before we actually get into the podcast, tell me what your what your version of Sunday prep is and what you kind of recommend other people should do to kind of kickstart their week. Yeah, it's like the number one stress reliever for your your work life. Just uh, <laughs> before you get into your week, uh, I take a little bit of time, kind of map out what are those like top three things I want to accomplish. We actually do this across our entire leadership team. We we tell each other in Slack to start our our uh, week. What's your top three things? How did you do on your your last week's top three things? But really kind of aligning, you know, while, while it's not noisy, you're in the depth of the week, take time to be proactive about what you want to accomplish. And it helps so much. It helps you kind of just get that off your mind. It's now on paper somewhere you can kind of focus on family and it takes, you know, 10, 15 minutes to do. It's not a huge, a huge Sunday commitment to do it. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love that. You know, one of the things I had realized too, very similar to that, but I like the way the whole leadership team at Matchworks is doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, I had it closer to when I had my promotion. So I'm like, oh my God, there's so much to do. But just simply opening my laptop when I'm relaxed on a Sunday and even going through emails alleviated a lot of the tension I had for that Monday morning. Cause I'm like, hey, I know, you know, just organizing my emails, kind of getting myself set up for the day was enough for me to kind of lower a little bit of that stress. Now it's a lot better. 
I remember in the very beginning when there was really nothing else to do on the weekends, especially, except yeah. for sit at home and watch Netflix. Watch Netflix, yeah. <laughs> That's when it felt the worst. Now it's like, hey, I actually have fun things to focus on. And then having something like that, it was, uh, it definitely did alleviate. I love the fact that your entire leadership team at Hashworks is doing this actively. Yeah, it's about accountability at the end of the day. You know, we hold each other accountable. And, you know, we, we actually get stuff done that we say we're going to get done. So it's yeah. pretty cool to see. You kind of shared a little bit about what Hashworks is, but what do you guys do high level and who are your guys' target audience? Yeah, so our target's kind of in the mid-market area. And the big thing with us is we have a firm belief about how you should design and build software solutions, right? We, we talk about something called a product trio. Everything we do is agile, but across design, engineering, and product, having those core folks working together through the discovery process, through the the uh, problem space, solution space, and then through development too, it's it's critical. You know, a lot of people like to say they're agile, but so many folks are kind of falling in that trap of still, you know, falling falling into the water waterfall type of. Uh, mentality, but I mean, everything we do at Hatchworks is agile. Our marketing team runs in two week sprints, even uh, in terms of how we prioritize our work, how we work through, you know, ideations on kind of campaigns and that, you know, kind of more nebulous area, taking it to something more, more concrete. Uh, but that's, that's the big thing with us. It's how we design software, how we develop software. And then our near shore delivery model just kind of pulls it all together in a nice, neat, value bow, but you know, we're real focused in kind of the mid-market space, a lot of B2B products that we build uh, for our customers. Okay. Awesome. And you mentioned that most of your customers are, you guys are global companies. So since you've just started interacting with them, where's the, the coolest customer location that you've experienced? Yeah. I mean, most of our customers are in the U.S. A lot of them are also global. Well, I mean, we, a lot of big names, even from like AT&T to Cox, but even some, you know, People Ready uh, is another really interesting one. It's like the Uber for jobs and work. So it's a really neat kind of platform there that we help build out. But yeah, so all over the, the continental US, um, one of them is based in Germany. So yeah, all over, all over the US. That's cool. And um, you mentioned you have a marketing manager in Montana. So just curious, what's the size of your marketing team and what's the size of your overall, like the, the full Hatchworks team? Yeah. So our marketing team is very small. So we brought marketing in-house recently back in April. So we're about four people strong. Our our designer's actually in Guatemala and he's a rock star. He's awesome. And Andy, our marketing manager's in Montana, like I mentioned, he knows some of the folks that have been extras on Yellowstone. So that's, that's kind of cool. Yeah. So all over, we're about 150 people within the company though, total. Got it. So wow. Really starting to get into our, our rhythm on the marketing side, got a nice yep. little team going right now. Oh, wow. And the, um, the fact that you, you guys even have 150 people. So kind of curious, and you're a global company, how do you organize the work that your team is doing? I know most most companies, right, they're doing a little bit of service-based, they're servicing their own employees, they're servicing their customers. Where do, would you say of the bulk of your guys' work goes? Yeah, majority of our work with uh, most of our people is servicing our, our customers, our clients. So they're actually building solutions with our customers. And sometimes that's a full kind of autonomous Hatchworks team. Sometimes we integrate with their team. Uh, so different models there in terms of how we work together. Mm -hmm. And then what do you specifically do? Yeah, so I cover marketing and strategy at Hatchworks. So kind of looking at how we're positioned in the market and then how do we talk about Hatchworks, right? So we're getting into this method. I know everybody's you know high on the Chris Walker 
kind of framework right now, but we're trying to think on how do we do demand creation and demand capture, being intentional about that. So uh, a lot of focus has been placed on kind of core pieces of content. How are we repurposing the content? Because we're we're a small team at the end of the day. You know, we don't have a ton of people, so we got to we got to get a lot of bang for our our marketing buck in essence. Yeah. Uh, so that's been a lot of our focus, like telling our story in that narrative way. The the value of Nearshore, how how the market has changed. And I think that's a big thing from a marketing standpoint when you're talking about positioning your products. You know. You got to build that story around it, right? You got to build the narrative around how you're serving your customers. How are you fixing their pain points, their problems? And we like to take a, a jobs to be done approach to things. So what, how are you helping your customers make, make progress? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and when you look at competition, it's not just the normal kind of competitors you have, but it's anything, any, any type of uh, other option to help them complete their job to be done. Like for many products, Excel is a, is a competitive solution, right? Yep. Doing nothing is a, is a competitive solution. So, you know, we really try to um, think of things in terms of how we're serving our customer, how we're telling that story. I think it's just kind of foundational for any, any marketing team. There's a big mm-hmm. strategy element to it that a lot of people, I think, overlook. Yeah. On your LinkedIn as well, you talked a lot about feedback loops. So what is a feedback loop to someone who's never heard of it? And then how do you actively use feedback loops in Hashworks? Yeah, so that's that's something I've been real big on lately, kind of talk, talking about personally, but it's something we we leverage in Hatchworks. I mean, in my mind, it's the secret to building and marketing products that your ideal customer actually wants to buy, mm-hmm. right? And I've been through the pain of spending a year plus building a product. You release it into the market and the market's response is, meh, you know, not, no response at all, right? The key is getting this feedback loop set up before you actually build your product. And like, what is a feedback loop? You know, they, they naturally occur in nature. They are in, in our bodies. It's just kind of natural regulators for how things, uh, how things go. But, uh, you know, the easiest one is actually talking to your customers. So many people overlook this, like talk to them before you start building something. So identify what is that pain point, validate the pain point with, you know, qualitative research, just talking, talking to the customer. And let that direct you in terms of what you want to build. So same thing with how we build a Hatchworks. You, you want to understand the pain point. The research side of things is so important. So you have that known up front. And then getting to, all right, what's our MVP functionality that we want to build? Like what's that thin slice of functionality that's actually going to help a customer complete their job to be done? Uh, but that, that's a big piece of it. There, there's feedback loops everywhere. They're probably in your business. You don't even know about it yet. Uh, but that's the key. You identify your feedback loops, get them working for your business, operationalize them, optimize them. The shorter you can make them, the better. <laughs> yeah, it was super interesting when I when I was kind of going through your LinkedIn. You talked a lot about that. At the perfect time, I had gotten an email, um, one of the content uh, newsletters I subscribed to by Every. There was a, um, uh, I believe she was head of community at Clubhouse. Remember Clubhouse? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I totally forgot about Clubhouse up until I read this article. I'm like, oh my God, Clubhouse was so huge just about a year ago. She shares 25 lessons learned from basically the rise and fall of Clubhouse. And the uh, one of the lessons that just kept on repeating, especially she's focused a lot on the product side and go to market, was the fact that they should have spent more time talking to their customers, talking to their users. And they spent a lot, uh, especially the engineering, the product team, was spending, investing too much time building their product, making it, you know, adding to the complexity of the product, 
instead of going back, focusing a little bit more on UI, not really the user experience and not spending enough time even experiencing their product to the point where they can anticipate where the users are experiencing the most friction. And, you know, also reading, you shared about feedback loops, also understanding how important that is in product marketing, which does not seem to be happening often or feels that way. Yeah. I've never met a customer that after they push something out, that's like, oh, we, we knew exactly what we were doing. We had it spot on, but it's, it's human nature. We all believe we know yeah. what needs to be built. Like I've, I've personally gone through that. And until like the market kind of just slaps you in the face with reality, you don't, you don't know. So it's, it's so true. And, uh, the interesting thing, you know, talking to your customers is like baseline, just go do that. Right. If you don't have customers yet, yet talk to people that you think are your ideal customer and you'll kind of be able to, you know, tweak it as you go. But even within products, you can have feedback loops, but right? mm-hmm. you can actually embed these into your product and neat ones, you know, Grammarly. I don't know if you're familiar with that solution, but they send you kind of your weekly status of how you did. Like that's a, that's a variable feedback loop that's giving me feedback about how I've done using their product. That's a r- reminder about their product. I kind of look forward to it in a way to kind of see how I did, mm-hmm. right? So that's just another form of a feedback loop. You can actually start to build into your product after you've built a solution. But yeah, they're, they're, they're powerful. For a company who is just starting out and they haven't really um, gone that route before, what is a bare minimum? I know you said just if you don't have, if you have customers, start off by talking to them. How much does it make sense to talk to them? Does it make sense to start with focus groups, have a certain set of questions, send out a survey? What do you think is like the bare minimum, the easiest way for someone to get started? Yeah, I would not recommend focus groups to start off. And I would not recommend surveys either, actually. The way I think about it is start more qualitative conversations, very few questions, like maybe three kind of questions you want to talk at and just kind of validate, but get get them talking. And people are a lot more open to talking than you would think, especially in that kind of context. But start in a qualitative way, talk to multiple folks, and you'll start to see patterns emerge. And at that point, then you can kind of go into, all right, let's layer in kind of a quantitative aspect to it with surveys or something like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think so many people try to overcomplicate user research, talking to customers, just have an idea what's that core thing you want to validate, yep. but get them talking. Let let them talk about their pain. And that's, that's also, I talked about it a couple of times, that jobs to be done framework. Like anybody listening, go, go Google that. There's an approach to talking to customers. And when we started this, it's funny the the example they give is like buying a camera or buying a mattress. And we did like a little test one internally with our Hatchworks team and our VP of product. We used the example of her buying a fit and we, you know, went through the process, the way you're supposed to go through trying to identify those trigger points. Where was the pain points? And we got under, like, she had this new dog that was escaping, jumping over the fence. And she needed a new fence to keep her dog in. Like that's, that's a, a pain point. That's a job to be done. It wasn't the aesthetic appeal, but then you can start to think about, okay, how do I craft my product around that? How do I craft my positioning around that? That's, that's where the gold is. So just literally start talking to people and jobs to be done framework is a really good starting point. Yeah, I will definitely, I've heard of it. I just haven't actually dug into it. So I will definitely note that down. It's so interesting that you, um, even mention keep it simple because I think normally when people want to go this route, they're gonna they will naturally overcomplicate it because yes. I feel like most humans kind of shy away from simplicity a little bit because it doesn't feel complete enough. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned too, uh, well, one of the things that we did at OpenSense, I'm sure you've probably heard of it. You know, winter. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, now I love winter. We basically, uh, we've been struggling with, okay, how can we redefine our positioning and actually build a narrative for our company, you know, for OpenSense and in a way that makes sense to our target. Obviously, we've been living, breathing and eating our company, our OpenSense, our product or solution to the point where we are so in the weeds. And winter was an example. We're like, hey, let's test it out. It looks promising. Yeah. And, and I actually went through the winter portal myself. And I've even submitted myself as a marketer who's there to give feedback to other people. Yep, I did it recently too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I thought it was so interesting to A, the winter um, questions. It's literally three, right? Does this resonate? Just going through it myself, I'm like, keep it open-ended. You keep it simple. Let them talk. Let them share. Their, uh, that way you're, you're not really, um, you're not guiding them to, exactly. start, you know what I mean? And it's like, that is the perfect way I think to I can connect what you just shared with the feedback loops and reaching out to your team is what I had experienced on winter. Yeah, winter's an awesome example. And just in general, Pep lies uh, just follow him. Like he's he's like prototypical of like what to do if you're going to build a product. And yeah. the biggest piece is like your network. The, the how he's promoting winter is like it's it's textbook for anybody just looking to do it. Like he's got a podcast. What I like about him is he connects strategy to, to everything he does. Like his, his podcast is focused on strategy, mm-hmm. like defining what market you want to play in. How are you going to win in that market? I think so many more marketers could benefit from truly understanding what strategy is. But yeah, like winter in and of itself, that product is a giant feedback loop. That, that's what it is. That's what their whole business is based around. And it's a really cool concept. Yeah, I'm excited to see. See how it does as it keeps growing. Yeah, same, same. Uh, um, you you focus a lot, and it seems like you're very, very passionate about strategy too. Complete the sentence. Strategy is blank, and then strategy is not blank. Oh my god, there's a whole book <laughs> right behind me. Good strategy, bad strategy. All right. yeah, strategy is defining where you want to play and how you want to win at, at its like baseline core, and where you want to play being like the market you want to play in. And then how are you going to win in the market? Because at the end of the day, like there's, there's only so many winners uh, that are going to be there in the market, right? You really just want to be kind of like competing and just kind of hanging around, you know? So, so really finding, and it gets down to finding your, your niche, like where do you want to focus in on? That's, that's a big piece of it. There's so many sub layers you can kind of get into, but yeah, the market you want to, uh, where you want to play and how you, how you're going to win in that market you picked. Anna Dumford is another really good follow on the, the strategy side of things. It's not tactics. It's not channels. It's not TikTok. It's not yes. LinkedIn. Those are all ways to operationalize your strategy, but you got to know your strategy and it, it has to be known across the whole organization, marketing, product, engineering. Those other things are tactics, ways to execute against the strategy. So that's, I think a lot of people get confused with that. Like the word strategy gets thrown around. Literally everything, yep. marketing strategy, engineering strategy, product strategy. Like there's, it's attached to so many terms, but at its core, it's, you know, where you want to play? How are you going to win there? Mm-hmm. And then, so you just added a curveball to, which I think most companies really struggle to do, even if you're a small company or a large one. How do you coordinate your strategy across the rest of the company? How do you get everyone on the same page? Yeah. So I think it's different based on the size and scale of your organization. Like one of the customers we were talking to recently, they're like, you know, multi-billion dollar public organization. 
yeah, publicly traded. That's that's a whole nother type of undertaking. But at the end of the day, it's uh, you know, a knowing what your strategy is. So at like a leadership team level, knowing what that is, and then just repeating it over and over again. Like people, it's human nature to feel like, oh, I've said something, everybody knows it. No, like literally repeat it every week if you can in some form or fashion. Like we have a biweekly, we call them hatch huddles. We get the whole team together remotely on online and just talk about everything going on at Hatchworks. That's a key thing that we do. It's the repetition of like what we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that's that's the biggest thing is it starts with communication and alignment from the top down in a lot of ways. Because if, if leadership's not guiding that, people yep. are going to have their own interpretation of what the strategy is. And it's no fault of their own. It's just, you know, that's, that's human nature. You're going to, you're going to try to make your own way if, if you're not, if you're not given direction. Mm -hmm. I, I, I like um, that you shared about hash huddles. Talk to me a little bit more about what that entails. Like how much information are you actually sharing with the rest of your team? Are you and the leadership team getting together and discussing it before you communicate it out to the rest of the company? Like how much information is enough to share with everybody else? Yeah. I mean, we, we are very open and transparent at Hatchworks is kind of one of our, our core values. So we probably shared too much than what most companies would, like even down to like the financial level, how we're doing and everything. But yeah, I, I, we plan it in advance. A big undercurrent is the strategy, but there's also elements of, you know, people talking about the projects they're on. We do something called a Hatchy every month and it's somebody that's exemplified one of our core values. So recognizing people for that. And again, like I'm a big believer in story on the marketing side, getting people talking about the stories, the great things they're doing for our clients, how they approach something. And that's the best way to learn for others to learn. Like Disney does this at their parks, right? They have people come in, uh, all the people that work at the parks every day, they have a huddle and they talk about something they did the day before. So it like sparks ideas for other people as you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I love that. You guys, you guys got some great, hey, let's swap notes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you guys seem like you're doing a lot, which is great. Because uh, same, like the company that I'm working at, very, very transparent. So if I'm asking questions, I'm like selfishly trying to get some ideas from today. Um, Another layer of that is the the founder too. And we're lucky, like we have a really strong founder in Brandon Powell. Especially like if you're a, a marketer, like looking where you're going to go next, look at the founder. Does, does he have a purpose? Does he have a vision for the company? You know, how does he talk about that? that that's a big piece that I think people overlook when joining in new company. So that's a really big piece. Like what does the founder stand for? All of that. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things you also mentioned earlier, you mentioned, you know, you try to even shout out people that, that exemplify the core values of Hatchworks. Is that when you're trying to figure out the core values of your brand, right? Is that an exercise you did with the, the rest of the leadership team? Is that something that you were able to do after talking to the CEO? How did you guys build your narrative, your core values and the soul of who Hatchworks is? Yeah. So it was an, actually an interesting exercise. We had different people from different areas of the organization come in. So it was not just like leadership team, top down type of thing. This was a case where we did do a survey for yep. folks, just kind of like, what does Hatchworks mean to you? And just some other, uh, it was all qualitative feedback, but we did do it through a survey. Uh, and then from there, we kind of distilled it down. Like what were the key themes that we saw? And we got down to our, our core values from there. And then we, you know, tied story to all those, uh, the way we talk about our core values, so they don't get like stowed away in a PowerPoint deck that nobody ever sees again is repetition. We talk about it a lot. Every new employee that comes in gets educated on our core values. We talk about it in the hatch huddles. 
of story. That's the other one I talked about and accountability. So holding each other accountable. Whenever we start a new project, we kind of remind each other of our core values. Like we even have, we have core value emojis in Slack. So it's like any kind of like little (laughs) reminder or feedback loop you can have to have it be top of mind. Yeah. Oh man. I love the, I love the emojis. You guys did come up with a little handbook for (laughs) <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like it's a lot of fun too, and I love yeah. the repetition thing. That's the stuff that sticks. Most companies that worked in the past too, I feel like, especially if you're larger, you struggle with this. Um, one of the very interesting things that happened here at OpenSense a couple of years ago, there was a survey that went out. How do you talk about what it is that we do? Reading the key findings, it was it was actually almost um, it was very eye opening to realize that yes. every single person is telling this story in their own way. And it just does not like, it does not resonate. There's not a single thread that I think was probably one of the biggest things that we noticed. Like, how do we get everyone on the same page? Was that survey to your, your internal people or was it to your customers? Internal. Interesting. So what's, so another cool thing that we do with, um, I love the idea internal. We need to try that. We haven't done that yet, but we asked that same question to our customers. So just kind of a regular touch point, get another feedback loop. We asked them how they would describe Hatchworks to a friend or colleague. And the way you hear somebody else describe your company is yep. like super insightful. And it's funny, like different customers will describe you in different ways, yep. which also kind of helps you kind of hone in in your ICP. Yeah, Like, you know, people that are really like, you know, have an awesome answer, excited about you, tell this awesome story. Like there's, there's value there, right? So okay. wow. yeah, it's, it's I- really neat. I just wrote that down because I plan to like, I want right to, out, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to try it on the internal side. I want to see. Yeah. Do, so you do it on the internal. Yep. I'll do it. The, I'll plan it enough for the external. Now, Sounds when good. you're, when you're sending out a question like this, do you, are you including this in the process um, that is already exists? Maybe your customer success team periodically reaches out to your customers, or is this something that marketing is doing independent, like on their own, their own initiatives? Yeah, it's a bit of both. So we have some stuff that customer success leads. Uh, we're starting to operationalize this, some of this. And like when a new customer comes on, it's kind of like a why you bought survey, like understanding like where were those trigger points? How do they move through their their moments of awareness? How did they find out about us? Mm-hmm. So understanding that is a big piece of it. Yeah, yeah. No, I love that. This is a great conversation. I'm learning so much. <laughs> <laughs> So um, let's focus a little bit on you and your career. I know. So how long have you been at Hatchworks and what were you doing prior to Hatchworks? Yeah, I was, I've been at Hatchworks maybe four years now. I've, I've had a weird kind of journey. I started in analytics to product marketing, to product, like actually building products, to strategy, to marketing. So I've had this kind of like weird journey through different areas. I think that's where like, I see that connection point between strategy, product, and marketing. Mm-hmm. And strategy is that glue between marketing and product in my eyes. Like they have to be aligned and on the same page. That's why I think product marketers are super valuable people in the organization for that reason too. Mm-hmm. And it, would you say that's where um, most of the companies today struggle, especially if you're a SaaS business, if you've got your own, if you're building out your own products, where, where do you see the biggest missed opportunities for tech brands? And for larger and smaller companies and actually achieving that alignment between marketing and product teams. Yeah, I think the big piece goes down to the core of your strategy and understanding what strategy is. Like that conversation we were just having, like so many companies don't really at the core understand what what strategy is. So that's a big piece of it. And then the user research 
side of it is is so critical too. Like actually going and talking to your customers, using those feedback loops. That's the most important thing to me. And that that really helps connect, you know, product and marketing. They need to be kind of in lockstep. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I kind of like small self-sustaining teams. Yep. It's tough when you get very large. That That's like a whole nother ball of wax. But yeah, it's nice when you have smaller teams that uh, they're, they're not playing just a single role within a team. Yep. You know, they're kind of cross-functional in a sense. And then connection points are easier. I don't know if that makes sense. But, you know, if like you just have this person just does you know, paid social, like that's all they care about. You know, it's, it's tough when you start to get their deep functional areas. That's where strategy becomes that much more important mm-hmm. that everybody is kind of aligned to it. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I'm now starting to think about, when you think of brand, right? As a marketer, I think marketers are the shepherds of the brand. But if there's a product team who's building the product, right? Especially if there's multiple different products, at what point is it a shared um, actually, you know, to build out the brand strategy and, and the core of the company, is that something that you think you feel that marketers should be leading or is it a ha- goes hand in hand with the people who are building the, the product and the engineering team? Yeah. I feel like brand is, is still owned by marketing, but, but your brand again, has to tie back to your, your strategy. Like, you know, and brand gets misconstrued so many times. It's like, you know, what's our, our logo and our color, like that's that brand, right? You know, what do you stand for? Uh, what do people say when they think about you? How would they describe you? What is your place in the market? And that's what we're working really hard now on the Hatchwork side is building up our brand. What, what's our belief in terms of how we design and build software? Uh, the whole narrative around Nearshore, those are critical. But yeah, product has to be looped into that. Because if you have this brand that stands out here, but it doesn't tie to the product that you have, that's like a watch. Like uh, there's something that um, the guys from Basecamp and Rework talk about. It's uh, you want to have a an at-home product versus like an at-store product. Or I, f- I forget the exact wording, but basically you want a product that's also good after the customer gets it home and starts using it yeah. versus a product that looks shiny and awesome in the store and they get it home and they have buyer's remorse and it's not, yeah. you know, doing all the things that marketing promised. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where, you know, marketing and product got to be in lockstep. Yeah, so funny that you mentioned that. I visualized, um, I'm sure you remember this. If you're ever at, you know, those festivals where they've got people who who are making, you know, those toys that they would pull the thing and all of a sudden the helicopter would fly. Yeah, yep. And then you would take it home. Yeah. And it wouldn't fly. Yep, or it breaks <laughs> in like two seconds. It totally breaks because you cannot, they they learned how to use it. It was like a special, it was the skill that these salespeople have practiced. And now they're selling it to common folk who go home all the, I remember we were kids and we're like, it's broken. It doesn't work. And my parents were trying to figure out how to use it too. Yeah. And it was just always such a disappointing experience, completely lost all trust. Every time we would go to a festival or we would see people on the street selling these fun toys and you know, it would not work once you got home. Yeah, I can sympathize that. I got a six-year-old daughter at home, so I can definitely sympathize. <laughs> the, the key thing you mentioned there is trust. Like yeah. at the end of the day, Trust is the the best like marketing you have. Like if somebody trusts you, they'll buy from you. If somebody trusts you, they'll they'll recommend you to other people. Especially in our business, it's it's really based on trust. One of our core values is around you know creating raving fans of our customers and our people. But if we do that, that's that's what's building trust. I mean, that's that's at the core of business is what I've learned. If you break trust, I mean anything in life, relationships, friends, whatever, yeah. you know, it it kills it. 
Oh, 100%. And I love that you said it's, it. that's one core principle that is common everywhere, whether it's work, customers, your team, you, you as the director, you as the, you know, the head of your marketing team to your team um, and vice versa. You mentioned that you've had a lot of experience working in analytics, in product, marketing, leading teams, working within a team. What would you say in your career is the greatest lesson that you have learned or the greatest lesson that has been the hardest to unlearn? Oh my gosh, that's a, that's a really good question. I think, and you kind of touched on this earlier, simple is better. And, and you, you kind of go through this learning curve where you're learning something new, like it seems crazy complex, all of that, like it's just really difficult. And then once you get it, it's like, it's, it's simple. And you can dumb it down into like simple terms. Once you can take something from complex to simple, like you've mastered it in my mind. And that's, uh, I don't know, just the, the learning journey is a big piece. I think being a continuous learner, always being open to new things has really helped me in my career, just being curious. That's kind of where I, why I think I've navigated to different areas because I'm, you know, did analytics, got interested with product and marketing and strategy. So I've kind of weaved around different things. And it's like, it's like building out a puzzle. Like, I don't know, like the Super Mario Brothers back in the day, there's like the map on the video game. It was all clouded until you like reach the level. It's like you're, you're, building out the map as you go in your mind. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. And I love Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> it's yeah, <been> yeah. <laughs> uh, another thing that you kind of mentioned is you focus now a lot on simplicity. It's been something that's been difficult for most people to learn, right? And um, now at the stage that you're at in the role that you are in and trying to build out the rest of the Hashworks marketing function and, and what would you say is the key to success where you're at today and how other marketers could probably get there? Yeah, I think the key to success is having your team aligned against the common purpose is a big thing. Like I mentioned, we work in kind of a two-week sprint model. So kind of having your your ways of working established has really helped us. So we kind of have this, this nice cadence of how we work, how we interact with each other, how we deliver. That's That's a big kind of foundational piece. And again, just being aligned on what's your strategy and what is your, what is your purpose in the organization, mm -hmm. right? Like at the end of the day, marketing, we're trying to build, build awareness and, you know, like Chris Walker, you know, create demand, capture demand at the end of the day and ultimately drive revenue for the business. Yeah. Yep. How are you guys specifically creating and capturing demand at Hashworks? Like, yeah, I think that's the piece we're starting to grow into. Like the capture side, you know, there's some basic stuff there with like review sites that we're on. Yeah. That's kind of an easy people are like in buyer mode, ready to buy, making sure we're present there. From an SEO standpoint, again, kind of, you know, the basics, the creation of demand is the area we're starting to get deeper into. So we want to start telling our story, telling our narratives, leveraging more video content too. It's just easier to consume. Like what we're doing right now, podcasting is another kind of way to kind of, you know, get our name out there. So that's the area that we're starting to get deeper into. It's, I mean, it's the harder, it's the harder piece of it, but it's the more valuable piece in my mind if you can actually create demand. What channels would you say have been most most um, effective for you guys for the work that you're doing at this stage? Yeah, so uh, LinkedIn's a big place for us. A lot of our buyers are on LinkedIn. G2 Clutch is another review type site. So those we see a lot of um, traffic. And I mean, really, our, our customers are the best like word of mouth referrals. That gets overlooked. Like talking to your existing customers, there's always tons of opportunity within existing customers that already trust you, you already work with. Um, that's another area I think that gets overlooked a lot. Oh, oh, it totally does. 
when you think about even chasing and creating new demand, you forget that, especially if you're um, within larger companies, you may not have penetrated other, you know, departments and especially if you have a product that actually makes sense for the whole team. Um, yeah. Easier to get into, right? Because you've already been vetted by their, uh, if you're a tech product, you've been vetted by their IT team. You've already got users. It's the easiest next step to just continue to get your foot in the door. Um, but when I think most marketers think about even strategy and building out their tactics, they think about the shiny new channels. Yeah. TikTok, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, TikTok's fun, but uh, it's, it's, and you know, there's an interesting thing about TikTok. I mean, it's a channel at the end of the day. But it is more blue ocean. Like, you know, there's not as many competitors there. Oh, yeah. But there's starting to be a huge audience there that's using TikTok. Like there was a a status all the other day. I think it was Gen Z, how they search when they when they go to search, they prefer TikTok over Google now, which was just like mind blowing to me. Yeah. Like if they're gonna go try to find something, they search on TikTok versus Google. Mm-hmm. So like there there are a lot of underlying things there that are super interesting. But again, it's a channel. It's a channel yeah. versus like your strategy. Your yep. strategy isn't go do TikTok. That's a way to execute on your strategy. Yeah, so what's really interesting about TikTok too recently, so I had, I downloaded it like a year, like I guess during COVID when everyone else did. Yeah. And I actually downloaded it with the purpose of, hey, I don't want to be like a dinosaur marketer. I might as well try to figure yeah. out where the world is headed. And I remember in the beginning, it was, I was so weirded out by this this whole new world and uh, i remember uh, the more and more time i spent in tiktok the more i my even my perspective changed from wow this is weird to oh my god this is so cool now you're starting to see um especially with brands going on to tiktok one of the one of the things that that i recently noticed is it used to people used to focus on trends and the moment you either latched onto that trend train or it's done it's gone you cannot catch that train after yeah. Now, uh, I believe TikTok is investing more time even in SEO. So when you're saying people are searching for things, um, for marketers or product teams or any brand who wants to to include their stuff on there, they can start leveraging basic SEO principles in TikTok and they're going to be found a lot faster yeah. than if they went the trend route because the trend route is, I think, slowly going to be behind us. Hmm. And, the, and it's going to be the same as you see on Google and just search in general. I thought that was super interesting, but... Yeah, I mean, Gen Z is changing the world for the rest of us. Yeah, and I mean, like any platform, like Facebook started out with college kids, like every yeah. everything kind of had their niche and that's why they were successful. You know, if you think about it, they focused in a specific niche and then expanded from there. Like finding a market that is small enough to, to win, but big enough to matter. Mm-hmm. But right, but all those grew to like these huge things. I think TikTok's at that inflection point where, you know, it's getting past just the the app where people do crazy dances on it yeah. you know, or whatever it is, right? Yeah. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to become very much a mainstream. I think it already is. Going yeah. Forward. Oh yeah, totally. It's the only other app I spend most time on if, if I'm not on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, now just to focus a little bit on, I mentioned that we're going to do some rapid fire questions. Okay. We've got some questions here. Then I can give you your Friday back. Okay. Um, try to answer them quickly. I always say this and we, people always end up taking time. So <laughs> you're allowed to take time. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll try <laughs> what is your favorite B2B brand? Why? And what's your favorite B2C brand and why? So two brands who are killing it, B2B, B2C. Yeah. Metadata, just everything they're doing on how they're doing demand creation. Like that team's just awesome. On the B2C side would probably say Canva. I guess that qualifies as B2C, right? Consum- like, I, mm-hmm. 
I've known about them for a while and just started using them recently. And just their user experience to actually get in there and do it is just super simple. And it gets back to user research. Like they, they nailed it. Oh, they totally did. I love both. What made you smile today? What made me smile? Uh, seeing my, my daughter come home from school. Yeah. Oh, I love that. What is your spirit fruit? Spirit fruit. Um, <laughs> banana. I have no other good reason besides I like bananas. I don't know. <laughs> hey, ban- bananas are good. They're versatile yeah. too. They're versatile yep. fruit. Um, what's your favorite drink, beverage? Uh, I'd say an old fashioned is my favorite. Uh, I don't know if alcoholic drink is what you're going for, but yeah, no, not alcoholic coffee, 100%. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. Love, love, love. Um, what is your pet peeve? Pet peeve? Uh, meetings. Meetings, meetings without purpose. I'll say that. Like when somebody puts a meeting on there, there's no clear agenda, no clear purpose. And they took an hour of time to do it with 10 other people. Just pisses me off. (laughs) Yeah, that is a good one. That is a good one. I've been guilty of that. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Uh, If you could pick one superpower, what would you choose? Read minds. Back to the user research side of things. Oh, that is a really good one. Um, Best way to wind down. Uh, wind down, w- watch TikTok with my wife. <laughs> love that. I absolutely love that. When are you most productive? When I have the least distractions. I thought I used to be a morning person, but I found if I had wherever I have the least distractions, it could be nighttime, whatever that, that yeah. works the best. Yeah. That's a, that's a very good one. How do you stay sane or what is keeping you sane? If you are sane. Writing stuff down. And being intentional with where I focus my time. And the only way to do that is just by writing stuff down. I found that it'd be really effective. And where do you write it down? Like a post, like physical or? I've actually started to, I got this like journal thing. So I'm going to start playing around with that. I, I, I am not good writing by hand, but we'll see how that goes. All right. <laughs> What's one thing you cannot live without? I was going to say my cell phone, but probably my family. That's, that's the big thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Family is good. Cell phone is a good second. That's the thing with me. Um, what's one book you, I see you have a bunch of books in the back. So what's one book you would recommend to your audience and why? Oh man, there's so many. Uh, sticking with the strategy thing, maybe good strategy, bad strategy yeah. is a really good one, especially that marketers wouldn't really think about. So good strategy, bad strategy, or playing to one. Those are two really good strategy books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, it's so interesting too, when you mentioned earlier, not a lot of people understand strategy. I remember when I was learning strategy, I had no idea. I could not tell the difference between strategy, tactics, between objectives, goals. I just was so confused. I'm like, what is the difference? Same. Uh, yeah. One Everybody of the, goes through that. Yeah. And I think it comes to the point where if you're not, if you're not really trying to delve and try to figure out what is the difference, that's where you end up seeing uh, you know, that whole new world where everything's mixed and blurred together. Hmm. Um, someone I spoke to had shared, so this was the first, I guess, strategy book that I read. They said, hey, you want to learn about strategy? Read Sun Tzu's Art of War. Yeah. yeah I've read that three. is beautiful, simple, and that'll teach you everything that you need to know. And it's it was- funny, that book, I thought it would have been this big, thick book, but it's like a small no, kind of simple, which like is perfectly like, yeah, you know, logical however you want to put it that it is and, and the lessons in there the the stuff shared is so transferable to all aspects of life not just business which is yes. crazy. It gets back to that whole like first principles type of you know approach and thinking yeah yeah totally and last one who do you think we should invite on to the show next oh so i would i would say my founder brandon powell but if you're looking for somebody outside of the company 
Andy, uh, well, you, you already had Gated too, I think. I'm trying to think of somebody you haven't had yet. Uh, Pep Lyas, you can get him. He's amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and in winter, that would be a good get. He would be great. And we would actually love to have your founder because we're also doing founder stories. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, I'll yeah. connect me with him. He's, he's got a, he, he can tell the, the founder story. Like, you know, you think of the Dave Gearhart, read that recently, oh, founder yeah. brand. So he read that. So like, he's got a really cool founder story. I think the narrative around nearshore, our business, our pivot, all of that's really cool. Definitely. We will uh, absolutely appreciate the, the intro if you could set that up. Yeah. Um, but that is basically all you are. You are the fastest rapid fire response that I have gotten so far. On and the- short, yeah. short feedback. <laughs> loops, that's the- I love it. It's like <laughs> you were thinking about it. Yeah. So you probably already do know mind reading because I mean, I'm pretty sure you were reading my mind when I was reading questions. Yeah. I don't know about that. My mom would <laughs> say, say that's the case, but. <laughs> but thank you so much. Um, yeah. Awesome to have you on the show. And um, where can our audience connect with you? Yeah. So uh, find me on LinkedIn, Matt Page. I, I don't know exactly what my LinkedIn is. Oh, uh, LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah. Find me there. And on Twitter, I kind of just use that as a scratch pad. It's Matt Page 6'8". Um, I'm six foot eight. So that's another kind of thing. I, I stand out like a sore thumb. I I think that, that's another thing with strategy, right? It's like, <laughs> how can you stand out? That's the way to win. And it like clicked for me recently, like ever since I was a kid. I know I'm going off on like a tangent, but people have always come up to me unsolicited asking me how tall am I, commenting on my height. Yeah. I'm like, this is awful. I hated it. Wow. But it's, it's amazing because I stood out for no other reason than my height. I attracted people to come talk to me. But it's the same thing with your business. Like, how do you stand out in the market? Don't look at your competition to do more of the same. Look at them to see how can we be different and stand out. Same exact principle. Yeah, that is so cool. And it's so, so cool that you're a 6'8". I've never spoken to anyone who's 6'8". Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a, a, a gentle giant. How about that? Well, <laughs> you definitely seem like a gentle giant. So that, uh, that is awesome. But thank you so much, Matt. It was great to have you on the show. Cool. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Growth Marketing Camp. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would give it a quick five-star rating or share it with a friend or colleague looking to strengthen their skills with tips and inspiration. If you want to learn more about the company behind the show, head to opensense.com. That's O-P-E-N-S-E-N-S-E.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.